0: Let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Thessalonians for our final time. As far as I understand, for 2019 anyway, we've been utilizing this short letter to underpin the theme that the Lord's given us for 2019, looking and living as we anticipate Eagerly anticipate seeing the Lord Jesus in the clouds. Certainly this anticipation uh, helps us govern our living. Teaches us how to live. Um, if you need a Bible to follow along with this morning, uh, you don't have a Bible on your device, then uh, ushers have one in the back. Just slip up your hand and they'll be glad to uh, get a Bible to you. First uh, Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. We divided this whole book up into three simple points for those of you who are guests. Um, We've looked at the nature of God's faithfulness since anticipating His return compels our hearts to consider what it means to live in a proper manner. Living in a proper manner is what we would be known as faithfulness. Anticipating seeing Jesus helps us live faithfully and we studied the nature of that faithfulness together. What begins with God continues with God and ends with God, right? Um, God is faithful. We saw in 1 Thessalonians 5.24. He is faithful. He can't help himself but be governed by himself. He is the epitome of eternal divine faithfulness. And so when he calls you, to the Lord Jesus Christ, and you trust Jesus as your Savior, that grace that drew you, that saved you, will continue to help you live like God. Continue to compel you to live faithfully. Okay? So, that's the nature of faithfulness. Its origin is found in the person of God the Father. The last couple times we were together, we were looking at how, how do we help each other cultivate faithfulness in our own lives? How do we nurture faithful living in our own lives? Uh, certainly, the anticipation of seeing Christ helps us do that. Uh, it helps us understand uh, who God is. It helps us understand how we help each other. And we, we saw that there was a personal aspect to that. It seems very, very helpful here that when someone comes to know Christ as their Savior, they immediately begin to follow someone more mature than they. We talked about the layers of help from heaven. And I want to be very, very careful here. God is enough. Jesus is enough. His word is enough. Uh, There have been many Christians throughout Christian history who were never helped by any human In their personal growth they knew the Lord through Christ and they had his word and they went to church but there wasn't much interdependent help in that church to help them grow and they made it how many of you here grew up in a church where you were not linked up with someone to help you grow spiritually we just raise your hand everyone look around keep your hands up real high see that folks well over half and you made it right you're here. Because God is, what? God's faithful. He began it, and He'll continue it, and He'll finish it. But when you look at the Word of God, God never exclusively says in His Word that you go this Christian journey personally, alone, without the help of another believer. And each one of these verses that we looked at in the last couple weeks reminds us that there's got to be some type of personal, organic connection. Not just with the Lord and His Word, that's for sure. But with the body. With the body. It's a personal nurturing. This nurturing has a disposition. We studied that in chapter 2. It's personal. It's dispositional. It's, it's reciprocal. We help each other through affliction. We help each other fight temptation and we, we help each other grow in our maturity. We found out that it's a moral help. In chapter 4 verses 3 through 8, we looked at that last week. We know that this is culture in which it's difficult to to maintenance sexual purity right so it's very clear in this context that the Thessalonian believers were helping each other maintenance moral purity and and I draw your attention again to chapter 5 and verse 11 which is which is a powerful verse it's not a summary verse but it's certainly explanatory of how they were doing this Therefore encourage one another and build up one another, just as also what? What's the text say? You are doing, or literally you have been doing the the reciprocal pronoun here of one another, it's it's exactly what it is. It's reciprocal. It's mutual help, it's mutual assistance. These folks were personally, dispositionally, reciprocally, morally, and familially, if you will. As a family, they were helping each other. And this was the nurturing of that faithfulness. What begins with God, continues with God, and ends with God that's nurtured this way will inevitably have a spiritual influence. It will... It will have a gospel influence, if you will. In other words, that which God starts, that's nurtured by him, his son, and his word, and by each other, will naturally, supernaturally naturally, I call it, have an influence inside the church and outside the church. Okay? How is is the gospel advanced by this healthy group of people? Go to chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. We're going to just go through all five chapters quickly this morning. And we're going to find out how these healthy people were used of the Lord to see the gospel advance. In other words, they couldn't help themselves but have this kind of influence. This is just what God does. Remember, God is faithful who began it, who will continue it, and he'll finish it. How does God continue to use a group of healthy people who are nurturing their faithfulness this way to get the gospel out in chapter 1, in verses 8 and 9. For the word of the Lord has sounded out from you, sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith towards God has gone forth, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. Now, I told you folks several weeks ago that this church many people believe, is as young as one year old in the Lord. Some people believe as old as 30 months, less than three years old in the Lord. And this is the kind of influence they're having. For those of you that have known the Bible longer, this is post-Acts. This is outside some really supernatural things, the apostolic things that we're seeing in the book of Acts. This is normal New Testament church living now. This is This is the lifestyle that healthy churches should expect to have. Are you with me? This is a holy, H-O-L-Y. This is a holy expectation that healthy churches should have. What's going on in verses 8 and 9? If you want to write off in the margin of your Bible, I really believe this is the language of church planting. Under three years old in the Lord, this church was helping other churches get started. Read through those two verses again on your own in verses 8 and 9. And what you'll find out here is that the Apostle Paul was going in these regions that he lists here. And he was running into people. And what was Paul's job? To go into these cities and these regions and start churches. Paul was a church planter, but he's going into places where new beachheads, if you will, for the gospel have already been established and there's really nothing he can do. He gives them the gospel. They say, I know that. He begins to teach them the word of God that he was familiar with and he knew well. And they say, we know that. So, well, we need to meet together to study the word of God faithfully and we're doing that. As a matter of fact, we know who you are, we know what you do, and we know what you teach. Not some of it, but all of it. So it's really no need for you to be here, Paul. We've got this. That's really the language of what's being said here. And this is normative New Testament local church living. This is what healthy bodies of people do. They just just can't help themselves but effervesce new life. (laughs) Give birth, if you will, to more life. The Bible says that the greatest agony for a woman, biologically, to ever experience on earth is not childbirth, it's barrenness. The pain of barrenness far exceeds the pain of physical childbirth. God has put everything that he's created in his natural order, the desire to, and often the ability to, reproduce itself. I don't know if you remember your former pastor of 34 years, his final sermon to you before he passed away in May of 2015. He said the same thing. Everything God's created, he's created to reproduce itself. And I will tell you what he told you back then. Everything that he's recreated by grace and salvation, he has recreated it to reproduce itself. It's unnatural for that which is alive not to live and to reproduce. If it doesn't, it's typically because the effects of sin on this old fallen world in its various ways and forms. A lot of guys out in the country say, oh, there's a church that plants churches. There's a church that plants churches. Oh, you're the church that plants churches. And in my heart, I want to leap out of my chest and just say, No, every church should be planting churches. Amen. This is not just what grace does. Right? Every church should have this expectation. You say, Oh, my word, we're so small, we're so young, we don't have any money. Let me tell you, my friends, what God starts, God continues, and God does all we have to do is live with the expectation that he'll do it with us as a body but you remember folks how we began in january we began with you individually and then you individually with each other and then a church building each other up in the faith naturally will reproduce its singularity its body someplace else not rocket science not difficult but certainly gospel growth is a natural result of the faithfulness that's cultivated in the local church and if you go over to chapter 2 and verse 13 and i've pointed this out to you before but i think it's good for a little bit of a rehearsal here not just gospel growth but growth in the word personal and collective growth in the word of god for this reason we also Also, constantly thank God that when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. You received it, you accepted it, you fully embraced it, you have a vice grip on it. It is not just your morning newspaper, your favorite periodical, your favorite vlog, or your favorite podcast. It is the living, powerful Word of God, and it performs its work in you. Who believe? The assumption here that this is a natural result, this text has often been preached as to this is the way you should be and Paul within the context is saying this is just who we are because does that make sense are you with me so he's not saying this is who you should be you should have a love you should do this you should fully embrace he's saying this is what they were doing all five chapters not one criticism against these people this is a healthy body And I would say this is a natural result, not just gospel growth, but growth in the Word of God. And what do you find in chapter 2, verses 14 to 16? You have a desire to link up and be strengthened by other like-minded local churches. It's a natural thing that happens here. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. These were persecuted churches for what they believed. Thessalonica was a persecuted church. The churches that are in Judea were persecuted churches. The word is plural here. Thessalonica had a natural relationship with other churches that believed the same way who were going through the same things. Okay? So, think about that within the flow of the context again. All right? You and God, you and Christ, you and the Holy Spirit. We sang, we worshiped as we read, as the organ played this morning. You and the Word. You and each other in your homes. If you have people, say people in your home. You and each other in the local church individually. You and the local church collectively. And then you and like minded other churches we learn from so, so far in five chapters, we've discovered eight different layers of spiritual help in that order, in that order. I would say that for most of our experience from what your raised hands told us before, we certainly didn't understand what interdependency was among local churches. We certainly didn't have an individual approach to helping each other in, or collectively in the local church or individually in the local church. You see where I'm going? If you go backwards through that list, we were strong, but we were not experiencing the full understanding of what God meant when he said, faithful is he who called you, who also will do it. He wants every believer in every local church to experience this reality. This is strength. This is strength. This is really the future of the church. Thessalonica was able to sustain itself for the next generation. It's not one of the churches mentioned for those of you that know your Bibles well in Revelation two and three. It's not there. It was a healthy church. Certainly, they confronted their problems well, but Paul addressed in Second Thessalonians. They persevere. Well, they reproduce themselves. They were able to say, here's the generation for our kids. Here's the generation of the church for our community until Jesus comes because they were healthy. They were healthy. Over 95% of American churches, my friends, are in decline. 95, over 95%. Think about this. of the 5% that's left over are what we would call attractional model churches. What I have told you are kind of field of dreams churches. If you give people what they want, they will come. So that leaves about 2% of churches left that we would just call basically evangelical not necessarily evangelistic, for those of you that know know, that terminology, right? 2%. And of that 2%, they're the churches that look like Thessalonica. They're reproducing themselves spiritually in the community, in the body, individually in the community, in the body, then collectively in their community and in their region. And they link up with other strong churches to keep reproducing new local churches. So, gospel growth, growth in the word, ecclesiastical interdependency. They they certainly enjoyed the strength from other like minded local churches. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Let's go over to chapter 5. There was a community discernment they had in this local church, this local church of Thessalonica. They were able to discern some things well. Verse 1, Now as to the times and the epics, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that when the day of the Lord will come, it will come as a thief in the night. If you want to cross-reference in the margin of your Bible, if you haven't done this before when we've referenced this verse, Acts chapter 1 and verse 7, the word times and epics here. Uh, There was no one seeking to be a Nostradamus in the church of Thessalonica, okay? There were no date predictors. There were no people saying this is when Jesus is going to come uh, there were no people that were distracted by the events, whether political or social, of their day, of the times and of the epics, the timing of the times. They were not distracted. They were what they were. They would pray for their governments. They would pray for a spiritual influence and in the social climate of their communities, but they weren't distracted by what they were praying for. They were discerning people. They stayed about faithfulness. What God had started, God nurtured, and they were enjoying the natural results. And one of the natural results is discernment. Discerning people. The text goes on to say, verse 4, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, as the day would overtake you as a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. So let us not sleep as others, but let us be alert and be sober. For those who sleep, do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. We're going to guard our hearts with the word. And as a helmet, we're going to protect our heads the hope of salvation. These people were discerning people as to the social, political, economic times. They were going to be light. They were going to be discerning to make sure that that their testimony for Christ individually and collectively as a church was left unsullied by or unstained by the darkness of the world around them. They were going to remain distinct in their influence. Undistracted discerners, but distinct discerners. And I would say in a healthy church like Thessalonica, I would say increasingly at Grace, you folks are are living this out. And it's so wonderful to be a part of you. You're undistracted discerners and you are distinct discerners. There are more and more and more and more people coming to you asking you why you do or why you don't do certain things. And you're distinct. But you're loving and compassionate. People want to know. How in the world can you be loving and passionate and distinct in this old, dark world? You're not governed by a substance. You're not governed by a political party. You're not governed by an entertainment. You're not governed by a recreational activity. Certainly not governed by a substance. But you're governed by God. You're governed by God. So whether it be a quality activity that God would have us do, or whether it be an activity that's directly associated with darkness, such as alcoholism or substance abuse, we're doing the right thing with balance, and we're refraining from the wrong thing with discernment. They're people of light. They're distinct. We have no gospel unless we have discernment and distinction. There's no difference. Cross-reference here in the margin of your Bible, next to verses 1 through 5, 1 Peter 3.15. 2 Peter 3.15. One of the two. You'll correct me after church, I'm sure. Google it real quick. When people who see this distinction come to you and ask you regarding your faith, the Bible says you're ready to give a reason why you do what you do. And the reason is Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can change a life like that. These are discerning people. And these are people finally this morning that... Worship with integrity. Worship with integrity. I really believe, and those of you that have taken the disciple making seminar, I really believe that verses twelve to twenty two describes what worship on a Sunday morning should be and look like at any local church. What's happening during the course of the week? Right? Monday to Saturday is all five chapters up to here. It's what they're doing together. But a healthy group of people, one of the natural results is not just gospel growth and growth in the Word and interdependency among like-minded churches and community discernment, but also quality worship. But we request of you, brethren, verse 12, That you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you, what does the text say? Instruction. And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. And what's their work? They oversee and they give instruction. Live in peace with one another. They are living in peace with one another. The text literally says, continue to do what you've been doing when we gather together for worship the, the person of worship is always the Lord as we sang earlier the focus of worship is his word the individual who proclaims the word is to be appreciated and you know what? In healthy churches, they are. Whether they preach something that's culturally popular or unpopular, the Thessalonian church very much so appreciated those who diligently labored and had charge over them and preached the word to them. The, the pastors at Thessalonica who are never directly addressed in this book are, are esteemed for what they do, for their overseeing and for their instruction in the word. And the people there loved him and loved what he did. And they demonstrated their embracing of that oversight and that preaching by how they lived at peace with one another. I would call this a Smokey the Bear church. This is a church that knew how to be fire-preventative. They were living at peace with one another. Why? Because long before they gathered for church on Sunday, what were they doing with each other in the Word Monday to Saturday? You see my point? There's a whole lot more hours that we spend living the Word of God with each other compared to just hearing the Word of God together. Are you with me? Amen. Isn't that true? Amen. Most of us would avail ourselves to an hour of preaching a week, physically. You may listen to more in podcasts and electronic formats. But collectively as a church, most would be an hour. This is the hour. The rest of the week is spent really learning the Word of God, individually and collectively, correct? So, years ago, this used to be the habit of all pastors. I am going to preach four times a week. And those four times a week, those are going to be what we call discipleship. Come and hear, come and hear, and you will grow. That did happen for over 60 to 70% of you for a long time. That did happen. But within the flow of the text and being honest with the context, growth never happens exclusively when you come and hear. It was never intended to be that way. It's you and God, right? And His Word. We already went through that order before, eight layers of opportunities to grow, but before it was all centered around the pastor, and that's not what this context is saying. There's an appreciation for what the pastor does in the instruction of the word, and it's in chapter five, not chapter one, right? There's an appreciation for what he does in the oversight and the instruction because there's an appreciation for the book and there's an appreciation for the people shepherding each other as the pastor desires to shepherd them long before they get together to collectively hear the book. Amen. Does that make sense? Yes. All right, so if you're shepherding someone during the week, all right, that you've won to Christ, and even this morning we have some people here that have been saved for days. Amen. May that always be. Days, weeks, months, years, decades. May it always be and everything in between. May it always be. May we expect it to always be. Okay. So during the week, individuals, couples, groups are studying the Word of God. Individually as a group, six days a week. Six days a week, you're nurturing your growth individually and collectively, right? And so by the time you get here, you have a tremendous appreciation for this book and you have a tremendous appreciation for what it means to actually shepherd somebody. And shepherding people takes time, doesn't it? Right? Sometimes they show up and sometimes they don't. And when they show up, sometimes they're wounded and hurt. And all you can do is weep with them for an hour. You don't feel like you make any progress in the word. The next time you're together, you might feel like you, wow. If it could be like this, studying God's word every time, that'd be great. But nonetheless, in the big picture, they're growing, but you're overseeing them. That's an agony. It's an agony for you to disciple another soul. I get it. So by the time you get to church, you're like, oh, wow. Esteem those highly. Highly. Who oversee, who shepherd, and also instruct in the word. You just get it a little bit more. You get it a lot bit more. Are you with me? I don't want to be confusing or distracting. I don't see anyone sleeping. And if you are, maybe it's too hot. I don't know in here. I don't know. Okay? By the time we all get here, we understand what it means to be a shepherd. And so what kind of listener is listening to the word of God if they're a shepherding soul? A completely different learner. An expectant learner. Because what I'm hearing, I have to understand so that I can share it with somebody else. Chapter 5 and verse 11. It's right there. It's spiritual replication through the whole book. But here's just worship. This is worship. Right. So you esteem the work. The grammar says here you esteem the work of the person. I am not the man of God of this place. I'm not. God never calls me that in all the Bible. Surprise! The only thing that compels me to get up behind this Bach and preach this book is some gift God gave me when I was five, when I was born again. Outside that gift, I'd much rather be where you're at. Trust me. The text and the grammar says esteem the work that the gifted person does. There's nothing esteemable about me except Jesus in me, hopefully. Same with you, right? Right? Esteem the work. And you're able to esteem the work because long before you get to the worship, you're acquainted with the work. (laughs) Because you're doing it individually what we may just have a few more souls to oversee. But the only reason we're given a few more souls is not because we're individually capable, we're just spiritually gifted. I can't help that. God did that to me. Right? And hopefully to God be the glory. Right? So you say, Pastor, I'm over, I'm only discipling one person, and it's so hard. How do you oversee so many? I was like, I don't know. It's this gift thing. I don't know. How do you not feel the pain, and how do you not just want to quit all the time? It's like, because we got a lot of people like you who are shepherding each other, and you really encourage me, and you really know how to esteem the work and handle the instruction, and then you know how to live with each other. You live in peace with one another. Isn't that what the text says? All right? That's why I really believe the springboards with these verses in a worship context. And then what do we do? We continue on in worship. And what are we doing when we mix and mingle? We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. We went through those words a couple weeks ago. See that no one repays another with evil for evil. My friends growing up in a non-disable-making church, when you just go through these verses like, "Oh wow, that used to be here." A lot of Eve slander. Why did people do that? I just don't hear that anymore. If it's here, I'm not hearing about it. Seek after that which is good for one another and for all people. That sounds like enticing one another to love and good deeds. I think you could put Hebrews 10 24 and 25 right next to verse 15 there. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but so much more, right? As you see the day approaching and continue to entice one another to love and to good deeds. Rejoice always. That sounded like our song service this morning, didn't it? Didn't it? pray without ceasing. We pray before services, during services. We pray during the week after services. And everything give thanks. We do that as we worship the Lord, don't we? We did this morning. For this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Don't quench the Spirit. Think about that command in the context of worship now? We have to ask ourselves, what would quench the Spirit in the context of worship? In light of the chapter context and the book context, what would quench the Spirit individually or collectively in light of the whole book now? in the context of wisdom. That's a phenomenal directive to study within its context here. We don't have time to this morning, but you can meditate on that this week. Don't despise prophetic utterances. At this point, the, the word of God is not completed yet. In our, in, our, in our point in this dispensation, the word of God's complete, and there's no, there's no despising in good worship, quality worship of the preaching the proclaiming of god's word examine everything in the context of worship examine everything again within the context of the, the the immediate chapter and book it's phenomenal to think about that hold fast to that which is good the word the word good here would be that which is qualitatively good of everything That's involved with worship, which is the natural fruit of interdependent growing believers. Abstain from every form of evil in the context of your worship. Don't bring the dark side of the world into the light. The world does not ask us to come and make it better. Are you with me? The world does never ask us to come into it and make it spiritually better. In the context of worship, we cannot invite the world in to make us better. In any form, sound or content. It's distinct light. Disciple making people want to abstain from every form of evil when when they come into worship because God and God alone is their focus. As we worship Him and encourage each other, we really don't need any form of worship in a church that God's building. These are natural results of faithfulness. We worship with integrity. So, gospel growth, growth in the Word, church interdependence, interdependence community discernment, and worship with integrity. Naturally, all starts with God. It's nurtured together, and these are the natural results, and we should expect to have these natural results continually. Now, take your Sunday folders, if you would, and inside your Sunday folders, we're going to wrap up in the last couple minutes with taking a look at this little brochure that's in there that we've handed out to you before. Five minutes and I'm done at 1130. Are you with me? If you don't have one, raise your hand. Don't open it. (laughs) Everyone look at it just like this. Are you with me? We're going to go in an order here. Keep your hands up high if you don't have one. We've gone through this before. About 65% of our church is involved in this Thessalonian lifestyle. They may hand you a Sunday folder. It's just inside the Sunday bulletin. Okay, don't open it. Did I say that already? Okay. Now I may pick on one of you to come up here and be my uh, show and tell. Um, help. Right. So so be ready. It could be anyone. Trying to figure out who would be. Embarrassed to never come back to church if I did that? <laughs> All right. I mean, I really want to call on somebody, but I'm afraid they'll never come back to church again, so I'm not going to do it. So I'll... Don't do it, right, Pastor Steve? Don't call him. All right. Yeah, I've done that before. and People have really never come back to church again. All right. What does it say here in the front? The disciple-making life. The next time we print that, it's going to say your disciple-making life. Are you with me? This is Thessalonica. This is just what Christians do. Right? God created everything to reproduce itself. And he called it what? Good. He called it good. Everyone who's trying to lead a disciple-making life will try to do on the back. Now flip it over on the back if you would with me. It's got to start individually, right? So what's our prayer goal? We expect when we pray to at least win one person to Jesus before we die. 95% of American Christians have never won someone to Jesus. Could you imagine if that went up to Or went down to 50%. I mean, outside their home and outside a Sunday school class or a church activity, 95% of people have never won someone in town that was their friend to Jesus in America. But could you imagine at Grace if if we went from 65 just this year of percent of people in our church trying to do that to 80%? And we were prayerfully expecting to do that. What would the Spirit of God do here? While you're waiting to win one, remember 1 Thessalonians 5.11, they were building one another up. That was always happening. While they're waiting to win someone to Jesus, they're building one another up. I have been here, I'm starting on my 28th year in January uh, as, as a pastor here. In 28 years, friends, in 28 years, I personally have won seven friends to Christ in town. That's it. You say, Pastor Timmy, haven't you won a lot of people to Jesus? Well, people that you've brought to me? Yes. I've preached funerals. I've preached weddings. I've done lots of invitations after sermons, right? During the year and at Christmas time, and people have raised their hands. Have people gotten saved in those environments? Absolutely. But you have to understand, most pastors in our country. Sav their conscience with winning people to christ in those environments and they don't do anything more than that and that's wrong doing that's not wrong but not doing anything more than that it's just wrong and what do pastors say we just don't have time well then they're not obeying what paul says in colossians 4 you make sure you have the time i have to But God's at least given me that many in 28 years. Two of them are already with Jesus. So I have five souls that I want to go gangbusters on growing them in Christ. Not as a pastor teacher, but just as a dude, just part of a local church. Okay? So while I wait, I still lead. After I win someone, I want to lead those people. Right? Right? But while I'm winning or waiting to win, and while I'm leading someone, I'm also wanting to follow someone more spiritual than I That's 1 Thessalonians 1, 6, and 7. Immediately after the conversion that we saw in chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, in chapter 6, and you began to follow. So verse 7, then you became an example too. It's right there. So this could be a really busy life. Be a really busy life. So I know I don't think Ben would ever leave our church over being embarrassed right now. So so Ben, come on up, right? How long did you? How long did it take for you to see um, someone come to know Christ where you where you where you work? How many years? How many years did we pray together? Months or years? Years. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And she's here somewhere. Right over there. I don't think she'll leave if we embarrass her. (laughs) Hi, Mom. (laughs) A decade or more. A decade or more. While he's waiting, and believe me, we prayed a long time, didn't we? I'll come down here so it doesn't look so scary. (laughs) We prayed a long time. Is Jim Overberger here? Jim, why don't you stand? I don't think Jim's going to leave either. <laughs> he might not, right? <laughs> He might not have any So, So while he was waiting, he's leading him. I'm just going to make this real simple for everybody. This pastor and you people who know the word, it doesn't get more, any comp, more complicated than this because he doesn't have much time because he's got to love his Lord, love his wife, he his children he has a job he's got to eat sleep exercise there's not much more time left to spiritually replicate yourself in town folks this guy's got four hours that's all i've got a week four hours so i pray for those four hours all the time god give me a fruit give me a soul i try to train my wife and my kids there's someone on your teams in your network of people that jesus would have you lead to christ there is expect it he expected it for over a decade and God, how did you feel when it only took her about two weeks to win Gage to Christ after it took you a decade or like, <laughs> praise, praise the Lord. You know? Right. And the response is, praise the Lord, right? Yeah. Right. We're not in control of the timing, right? Yeah. Seven and 28 years and two of them with Jesus. I, right. So he's won one. Now he's leading one as he follows one is mr dodd here pastor kent dodd's gone this weekend they're in kansas city ministering Alright? so pastor kent leads me every week mr dodd every other week okay they speak into my life right so even your pastor has someone they're following sheep that he's won to the lord that he's leading right while i've won some just an organic circle of life. And don't go to Disney in your thoughts, okay? It's just, it, it just is what it is. It just is what it is. Then how long does he lead Jim? Okay. Open up now. All the way. And we're going to wrap up. Are you with me? Are you with me? What does it say over on the far left? Salvation vertically? And over here, what does it say? Legacy. Legacy. With your pen, right next to salvation, new birth. And right next to legacy, last breath. New birth and last breath. How long does Ben lead Jim? One life to a life for life. In the seminar, we go through the whole biblical theology of that. A number of you have taken it. The rest of you haven't. We have another one coming up here on the 25th and 26th of this month. You can register online. Okay? So, we give resources for people to study. So, Ben and Jim have gone through the foundations, they've gone through the walk, okay? And they continue to walk through. Uh, welcome to the family the membership class they continue to walk into other studies on prayer and so forth but we call this not just from new birth to last breath what we call this milk to meat and everything in between because hebrews five eleven says the writer of hebrews criticizes them and says some of you are still on milk when you should be on meat so you cannot discern between good and evil If you're going to be a growing in your faithfulness, you've got to embrace the Word individually and collectively with somebody else and then with the church and so forth. We just keep growing. So a little easier stuff to understand here, a little bit harder as you go along. All the way to your sunset years of biological life. As you grow spiritually, biologically, you should be growing spiritually. Understanding deeper things of the Word of God. If you go back to that last thing, what's the one? Everyone take one. Take one extra class a year, right, that Ben does. Why? Because he knows he's got to strengthen his spiritual muscle because he can only lead Jim as far as he is spiritually. Are you with me? Amen. Not rocket science, all around the number one. Okay, Have a seat, brother. Thank you. 65% of our church is involved at least in the process of this. I would love to see it this year bump up 15%. I start Sunday school almost every Sunday and every Wednesday night with what's the good news about the good news? Who are you trying to win? Or who have you won? Or who who are you leading while you wait to win? Tell us about your disciple-making life. And then everything seems to flow a whole lot more naturally behind that motive and that method. If any church continues along the lines of what pollsters tell us, that 95% of American evangelicals have never won someone outside of a church activity to Christ, will there be a church for the next generation? No. Read Revelation 2 and 3. God snuffed them out. Except one. Because they weren't doing their disciple-making duty. I want you all to pray just this week. And we'll let you go. I want you all to pray this week about who could you expect God to give you this year? I want you to regularly put it into your prayer life. Lord, I expect you to give me someone. You saved me. You want me to lead somebody else. Who is it? Would you lead them to me? And would you lead me to them? And give me the creative understanding of how I carve out time in my week to do that. It starts with prayer. And my friends, you'll see God bring the connection you can expect him to bring that connection. And it'll come sooner than later. I can't tell you when that person will be saved, whether it's 10 years or two weeks, I don't know. That's God's business. But you can expect an immediate answer to your prayer. Keep praying. Keep trying to win. And while you're praying and trying to win, connect with someone that you can follow that's more mature than you are. Pastor Mike, Pastor Kent, myself, Pastor Steve, we will help you do that if you don't have anyone yet. Some of you are leading people and you haven't found someone to follow yet. Let us help you with that. And we're going to give you very practical ways in which we can do that. This is how Jesus builds His church. He'll never do it merely through a band or through drama, or through coffee shops. Jesus builds his church through his people doing 1 Thessalonians. Okay? Doing 1 Thessalonians. All right, let's pray together. With our heads bowed and our eyes are closed, I know that this kind of a challenge at the end is... uh, very familiar to most, uncomfortable to some. Okay? I just want you to think about it. You may have a lot more questions. I'm not even going to ask for any decisions. I'm just going to challenge your heart to think about this. This may be brand new for some people. Hopefully it's been underpinned by the text we've gone through for the last month. God is faithful to you. To do what? To develop your faithfulness and to develop the faithfulness of somebody else. In the old days, we used to call that accountability, but accountability has to it a situational and a short-term reference to it. This is all of us committing ourselves to each other, to grow each other up in Christ-likeness while we try to reach our community. If you're involved with this to some degree, praise God. If you'd like to grow in that degree, contact us as pastors. We want to help you. If you're not involved, just say, Pastor Tim, or any one of the pastors, I'm not involved, I have no idea how to get started, but I'm convicted, I want to do something. Let us know. This is not a drink from a fire hose, this is not a sprint, it's a walk. And we just want to help. Okay? Let's all stand together. And we're going, I'm going to pray. And then, as the pianist begins to play, you can be dismissed and find somebody you don't know and shake their hand and greet them. All right? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for uh, your faithfulness to us. I pray, Lord, that the simplicity of this text would be understood by the help of your spirit. And we would seek to. Pursue its truth personally and then together as a church, gradually, as we continue to walk. Help us to understand your word, not just be faithful hearers, but faithful doers of it as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.